This is the Masonic Light Podcast featuring Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. A non-stuffy, somewhat humorous approach to understanding our craft. We guarantee you'll have a good time for your money back. This podcast is not endorsed or approved by the Grand Lodge or any jurisdiction. In fact, they'll probably hate it. And now, here's our host, Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. Hello there, Larry. Good morning, Pete, and welcome back. Yeah, we we uh, we missed a week. Yes, we did. And now I think we're back, but we're going to miss a week or two more. Because, you know, we're both so busy in our retired lives that <laughs> <laughs> we can't find time to do these, uh, these things. I, I understand, totally. So what have you been up to, Larry, since uh, we talked to you, la- talked to you last? Going to a, a lot of meetings, a lot of Masonic functions, uh, uh, just breathing, visiting people, yeah, things like that. It's been, a bus- it's been busy. Anything uh, exciting at any of the Masonic meetings? That's rare in Pennsylvania Freemasonry that you encounter anything? Well, other than the, uh, the chicken pot pie dinner, no, no. <laughs> Pretty much just the same as you expected. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, at the Lamberton Lodge the other night, uh, we did have a great speaker, a young fellow, a young professor, actually, that did a great job in a uh, presentation uh, ha- having to do with why young people join the craft and what they hope to get out of it, which was really, really a, a, a good uh, uh, a good speech, a good uh, a good education program that he put on. So what's your feel? I mean, that's always a good topic. What's your feeling on getting recruiting young people, keeping young people? I think right now what's going on, there are a lot of younger men. And I'm going to say younger. I'm going to talk about age maybe 25 to 45 that are joining Freemasons that are coming into it. And I think they have certain expectations that some of the older folk may not quite agree with. Although the older folk are accepting of it because they want to see the fraternity continue to grow and attract new people. So with the younger people, I think, uh, are, are pretty much wanting to come in uh, because they've respected someone that has been a Mason most of their lives. Also, too, they want to be able to get a certain amount of knowledge of things, whether it be mythological, whether it be legend, whether it be historical, they want to know a lot about us. And I think they're more willing to travel that path that we 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 say, you know, seeking the light and knowledge. And so I think they're more willing to do that than maybe some of the older folks when we joined Masonry 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I hear all these different discussions at, at, at groups of all the crazy things. And I kind of remember going through this in in college in the 80s and 90s with different fraternities and fraternities having you know their their numbers dropping and oh what can we do to what can we do to get yeah new people and i continued to see fraternities lessening the requirements to get in so you know in most when i joined most of the fraternities especially the local fraternities there was five weeks of, of pledging and you're pretty much, you know, someone's bitch for five weeks. And, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, it's 30 years later, 
you know, one of my fraternity brothers just died and we had, you know, 45 or 50 people show up in Doylestown, which is you know, over two hours away. You know, we're still like super close. But I saw other fraternities, the national fraternities who are, you know, really scared about getting in trouble for things. You know, let's just cut it down to a two week orientation. And, you know, it's, you know, give us a hundred dollars and we'll give you a sweatshirt. And that's how I think a lot of people are feeling about the one day classes. You know, it, it gets a lot of people in the door, but they never really feeling like they're part of the, they're not feeling like they're part of the team and a part and, and they don't, you know, without that affinity and that friendship, they're not going to stick around. Exactly. And I think that's an important role that we as uh, brothers who've been around for a long period of time, we have to welcome them in. We have to mentor them. We have to be with them and make them feel welcome so that they, every time they come into a lodge, regardless of what it's for, they're accepted and they feel part of us. And I think uh, the lodges that practice this in the long run are going to be able to attract younger members and keep younger members and keep them coming back. Sounds good. Yeah. Although I always have the, uh, the other, I always want to go the opposite way and, you know, make the dues a thousand dollars a year <laughs> and very, you know, and, and kind of cut out the riffraff, not, not so much the money riffraff because, but you know, some of these groups that, yeah, I'm a member of a couple groups where the dues are, you know, like $300 a year. Well, when we have an event, there's like 80% of the members there. Um, so, you know, do you want to do you want a group with 500 members but only 10% only 50, you know, generally in, from what I'm used to, it's about 10% show up at meetings. Mm -hmm. So, do you want 10% or 90%, you know, 90% not coming out? Or do you want, you know, to go the other way? So Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, too. You know, you talked about $1,000 dues, and I know we're being uh, facetious here, but there's a lodge, a traditional lodge, which we'll get into discussion maybe somewhere down along the line about traditional versus uh, our speculative lodges that we're all part of. But a traditional lodge out in Colorado, actually, uh, that meets, they have a limited 100 membership period. They have a waiting list of at least 300. Their annual dues are $650 a year. They have a festive board after every meeting and their opening and their closing in the lodge and so forth is just unbelievable. And uh, guess how much attendance they have of these things? 95%. Right. And I believe if you miss X amount, that's right. You can kind of get bumped out. Yep. Yep, they've got too long of a waiting list. People really want to be part of it. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how the uh, First Masonic District would respond to that, but if, if we could have something on the side, I would be into that. <laughs> I just don't have the money until uh, somebody wants to start paying for advertising on this podcast, then maybe I can, uh, I can join. Absolutely. So my week was a little busier. I was away for eight days. So I was, uh, I was on a grotto cruise with um, some of the members and wives of Ubar Grotto. And let me just tell you, that was a, it was a mess. It was a, it was a big, big drunken mess, as you would expect. 10 men ranging in age from 31 to 90 in fezes on a cruise ship in the Caribbean. 
but uh, it was a good time. Um, and one fez in particular made it on the ship. And that would be a fez of uh, past monarch George Heinsohn. Now, are you familiar with the story of this fez? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Travel all over the world. Okay. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about you know, what you know. And I'll, well, my, I'll fill my, in the I'll My fill knowledge in. of it is, I think, year, several years ago, he went to a meeting in New York at the uh, Azim, Gar- Azim Grotto. And somehow or other, he left his hat. And, and knowing George, that's easy for him to do. Well, no one returned the hat, but what they did is they decided they were going to travel. Anybody they knew that was traveling to spots all over the world, they'd take that fez with them, take pictures. Like if they were in front of the Kremlin, they'd have a picture with a fez in the Kremlin in the background. And oftentimes, people would give them pins. Well, this, this hat's traveled, sailed across the ocean on a... On, on a, a rowboat. On a rowboat. Crossed the total Atlantic. Unbelievable. The fez was there at all times. So it's got a, quite a story to it. Yeah, it's been to the Pyramids of Giza, um, the Holy Lands. It was on Castro's desk. In some Eastern European countries, some uh, brothers got detained and they were let go because somebody was trying to reach out and put it on a head of state as he was walking by, um, which you know, is generally frowned upon. If you see the head of any country, try not to reach out and grab him bad things usually <laughs> happen yeah that happened uh, in the news a couple of weeks ago i remember that lady reporter and donald trump she reached out and grabbed them bad things happened <laughs> <laughs> right so we had it on the cruise we had lots of stupid pictures with a hat uh with a fez um if anybody's looking for the uh, on facebook just google or search facebook search where in the world is george's fez and you'll be able to see all of its exploits and rumor has it the um, the Fez is already back from Key West and Bahamas and is en route to Las Vegas. So Las Vegas will be its next stop without George. Cool. That's great. You know, I should probably get the Fez to take it over to uh, the Netherlands and uh, Amsterdam and, um, and to Bruges in, in Belgium where we're visiting. That'd be fun. Yeah. Cool. I'm sure it's already been there, but, you know, maybe he can go back and see his friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's a challenge. All righty. So we're going to go take a short break here um, and then maybe get into some of our news topics that are coming up. The Masonic Light Podcast is sponsored by MasonicScarves.com, home of unique Masonic-themed soccer scarves. Our scarves aren't printed. All of the artwork is knitted into the design. We can also do custom-made designs featuring your local lodge or commemorating an event. These make a great gift for visitors, members, or for fundraising. Visit our website at MasonicScarves.com and click on the Shop Now button to see our full catalog. At checkout, use code PODCAST and you'll get $5 off per scarf www.masonicscarves.com Hey, welcome back, Larry. We're back from our uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, lunch break. <laughs> I had a sip of water and and you had an Advil. So, I was... <laughs> so in a normal week, um, when we actually take time to research a bunch of things, this is where we're going to go over some Masonic news items. Um, 
You can hear our, this is our, our temporary drop. If you want to hear our temporary drop, here it is. But they're really not going to be that exciting this week. <laughs> so we probably should have skipped that because uh, Larry didn't think we we're having the podcast today. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get off the uh, boat in Baltimore in time to actually show up to do the recording. And so, of course, since we had no, we didn't do anything to prepare, of course, we both got here on time. So, yeah. So what do you have just queued up there, Larry, that happened in the Masonic world that we can talk about? Well, and again, forgive me because I don't have all the particulars right now. This is something I read uh, on my Google alerts. There was a a Freemason lodge, uh, a group of lodges in in the United Kingdom that I saw uh, donated, and I don't want to say three mil, three bill, three million pounds. I don't know the exact figure, but it was a very substantial amount of money to a, a cancer facility for children. And I thought that was really a good news mention, and particularly for our brothers in in England who I do know are listening. They told me so. Uh, another good item too, which I, I like to hear. And if, if if you're listening to this podcast and you're from a lodge anywhere in the country, you know, email us, uh, Facebook us, let us know. But uh, here's a here's a really good example. We have a Masonic Lodge here in Central Pennsylvania. The Chambersburg Masonic Lodge has just celebrated its 200th anniversary on April 13th. And folks, that's, that's, that's quite an honor there. And a little bit about Chambersburg, it was the one lodge when Lee's forces, General Lee, during the Civil War, marched north. He kind of burned the whole town of Chambersburg down, or a substantial amount of it. And the only thing that they did not touch, and actually I understand they put a, an armed Confederate Army guard around it, was the Masonic Temple. And it's got quite a history to it. So again, congratulations to the folks out there for 200 years. I've been out at that lodge uh, for a, a lodge of research meeting, and it's a beautiful lodge, a beautiful place. And uh, again, uh, folks in Chambersburg should surely be proud. Well, that definitely sounds, uh, would have been a good place to hide during the war. Oh, yeah, <laughs> actually, you're right, you're right. The um, We'll be seeing a lot. Of, um, I guess we'll go into what I'm getting going to do next week. You have another one more news story, don't you? Um, working on it. Working on it. So, some news story about next week. Um, I'm going to be up in in Connecticut, uh, with my with my scarf business. So I'll be up in Attleboro, Connecticut, at the is it the Connecticut, Massachusetts Masonic Convention. Masonic Con. Masonic Con. Yeah. So it's actually going to be pretty cool. So there's going to be a few hundred vendors. Um, I'll be putting on degrees. I'm really looking forward to going up there. Not looking for the ride back because I got a quick rush back, do a noon podcast, and then go to um, uh, pick up our district deputy for Grotto uh, for our ceremonial next Sunday night. So, But uh, if you're anywhere near New England, New York, and you can get over there and you need some Masonic stuff, there's going to be like great vendors with lots of clothes. Uh, of course, a wonderful scarf vendor. And they will be putting on the Grotto degree and the Tall Cedars degree. So if you wanted to join either one of those bodies, you know, that will be available for you. Cool. There are a couple of Masonic lodges, too, throughout the country. And, and basically, and I think this is going to be a great topic for eventual discussion. 
there was uh, one group, uh, and again, I'm not going to quote the, the location of it because, again, this is impromptu for us. That actually has donated a significant amount of, of money to uh, a couple colleges and universities. And it, it, that brought to mind the fact that uh, years ago, back in the late 1800s, Masonic, the Masonic uh, Freemason movement was very much in favor of public education and was responsible in a lot of states for developing public education programs and beginning that entire process, grade school, high school, and so forth. And also there was a period of time, during that same period of time also from the 1890s through, I'd say 1910, 1920, where actually they founded about 30 or 40 or co-founded colleges and universities in the United States. So we have always been in the forefront of, of believing in education. I think it'd be a great topic for us to cover along the line. But in the newscast, uh, there were a couple of them that donated several hundred thousand dollars to some colleges for programs and so forth. I think that's great. Definitely great. Yep. Yeah, we're just, we just started here in Pennsylvania working on the, um, something new, our, as our current grandmaster, it's one of his, his big pushes, the Almoners Fund. And I think something like half of the money collected must go back each year directly to members in need. So, and it, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a long drawn out thing. You know, somebody's having trouble paying their dues. You can pay you can pay their dues with it. Somebody's having trouble with, you know, whatever kind of payment, you know, we can just do it. And it's pretty, you know, the, you know, we don't have to get a lodge approval to spend the money and tell everybody your personal details. Right. It can just be taken care of. Right. Um, you know, I know like elite for some of the bodies, we have some people that, you know, haven't paid their, they would, would be active members, but financially they're having trouble paying the dues. So they cut that out. But, you know, I'd much rather, you know, we have a wealthier lodge, you know, take some of those dusty hundreds of thousands of dollars we have sitting around to get a active brother there doing something than, you know, not getting the dues at all. Good. Yeah, you know, I don't want to pay the dues for somebody who's not going to come. But if somebody wants to come and just can't because of finances, you know, I think we should really make make an effort to make that happen. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. So Saturday or this coming Sunday, we have our big ceremonial for Grotto coming up. That's right. Are you? Uh, you have a costume? No, I don't. Are I you? didn't didn't realize we were having costumes. Well, it's dress up, not dress up in a costume. I should say it's, it's dress your best. Uh, that, that, because that, the Azimians, the Azimian Grotto always try to look very, um, you know, they're from New York City and they love to throw it in our faces that we're, we're hillbillies from central Pennsylvania. So they always try to, uh, dress really sharp and make us feel like, like asses for wearing work boots and things like that. Okay. And are you saying that we're supposed to dress our best, put a coat and tie on and so forth? Well, if that's your best. You know, I've got my purple tuxedo that I'm going to be wearing. How about if uh, someone just comes in a diaper or so forth? Is that okay, too? Well, I think half of our members do come in a diaper, but <laughs> they probably have some pants over top of it. <laughs> but they're still welcome. They really enjoy the buffet. Bless their hearts. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I intend not to dress any differently than what I usually do. <laughs> okay. And then the following meeting, we're doing something really fun. We're going to have um, a breakfast for dinner. People were complaining about the food choices, so we decided we're going to have uh, 
eggs, bacon, and pancakes at uh, eight o'clock at night for for our, our lodge dinner. <laughs> Is a uh, lodge dinner? Or no, for the grotto dinner. Of a grotto dinner, and that's in the May, right? May, 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 whatever it is. Okay, I'll be in a cruise, so I won't be around. That's oh, okay. Good. You can have eggs and bacon and pancakes for for dinner. I'll miss that, thankfully. So coming up, we want to talk about. Um, you know, we started this whole thing while Larry and I had a kind of a sketchy uh, schedule, but probably uh, come end of May, June, we'll, we'll be back on a regular basis, if not weekly. Um, we have some speakers lined up. Um, so one of the first speakers, one of the first speakers we talked about was um, maybe, uh, well, maybe George himself, he could talk about his fez and, sure. and, and his shenanigans. Uh, another one is uh doctor for Christopher Rodkey, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Rodkey. Yeah. So, uh, he's chaplain in pretty much every Masonic group he gets sucked into. Um, he's written a few, no- a few books mm-hmm. and just very knowledgeable on Freemasonry and the church. He is also a professor at the, uh, United church of Christ, the Lancaster seminary as well. He teaches over there. Yeah, he has many jobs and many hats. So, I mean, I would be interested in hearing a lot about the, um, you know, maybe the problems that some churches have with Freemasonry and what the conflicts are and why certain churches still have a, you know, a bug up their ass. And Well, that's kind of good. And I'm glad you brought it up because you're, you're segueing into something that we're going to talk about today. That's Mormonism and Freemasonry. Okay. So, well, we... So, you are prepared to talk about oh, that a little. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, I did. I thought that was part of your not being prepared. No, 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 no. I'm okay there. Okay, so then we're also going to have coming up um, uh, another one of our friends, uh, Seth Anthony. So we'll we'll definitely have him in his unofficial capacity, whereas he is a collector of everything fezes. He has a uh, thing that he calls the Virtual Museum of Fezology. And pretty much if you want to know anything about any kind of fraternal organization that at one time were fezes. So while the Shriners are going to be your, the, you know, the first thing people think about and, and, and Grotto were the, you know, Rodney Dangerfield version that no respect. But beyond that, there's little tiny things like the Muscovites and the odd fellows and, even things like, I think there was even a, in the Knights of Columbus, there was like the next level up. Like if you were a fourth degree knight, there was something that you could join in the, the part of the uniform was a fez. And then Seth also has a, uh, a job with the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania, but I, we, we aren't sure yet if he's allowed to talk about his real job yet. He'd have, probably have to get permission, but we're sure even without permission, he could uh, talk about his fezes. That'd be good. Um, so that's kind of the first couple of people we have lined up. We have uh, J.P. Meyer lined up, too, who was a past master of the Lamberton Lodge, who is actually the music director for the Apple Tree Theater, or whatever that is. And the Dutch Apple. The Dutch Apple. Thank you very much. The Dutch Apple Theater, which is a musical theater, a uh, uh, place to eat, place to drink, and uh, enjoy musical theater. And it's fantastic. He's been there for past uh, couple years. And he did a presentation several years ago on music and Freemasonry. And it was one of the finest presentations I've ever heard. 
And I think we could have him on the topic we could cover there would be how important of a part uh, Freemasonry and music has played in the craft, especially since we had that, uh, that one composer who wrote the magic flute. Is that Mozart? Yes, Mozart. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. it can be being smart. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got some good stuff coming up. We really do. Sounds good. So you want to get back in and talk about um, your little, you, you've been finding a lot of connections and with, with Freemasonry and Mormonism. Um, oh, Larry's whispering into the microphone. Can we take a break? So yes, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. <laughs> Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, Traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it. And innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex-Mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble, plus fine bookstores everywhere. So we're back. We're back from our... Uh Larry break. So I think, uh, Larry, you have some toilet paper on your shoe. All right. You got, thank you. Okay. Thanks. So, so we're going to, um, so one of Larry's things that he's been interested in, they have to understand where we live. Larry grew, Larry grew up on the East coast, um, Pennsylvania, South Carolina. He was in the military in, in Key West of all places. Um, I've either been in, um, like Kenneth square, Pennsylvania or Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So, we don't meet a lot of people of the Mormon faith out here. Um, I do know there is a Church of Latter-day Saints in Lancaster, but, um, you know, since I've been away for the past week, I haven't been able to track down if any of the local members of that church are also members of a Masonic Lodge, because it'd be really great to get their perspective on this. But so since most of you listening are, probably a half a step as a behind us and being a novice on this topic, kind of like Larry will give you a little tease of kind of like what some of the similarities and, and what's going on there. And then hopefully maybe we'll have somebody more, you know, educated maybe from the Mormon church or somebody on in a future episode that can, you know, speak to it, you know, from the other side. Yes. Yes. Actually it was one of our listeners, Jason, I won't mention last names. I don't know if we should, Jason, who uh, sent us a note saying, you know, there is a there is there is a familiar familiarity. There is a 
a common thread somewhere between Freemasonry and the development and the Mormon church. And he'd like us to take a look at that. And actually, it was going to be a topic of discussion at the Goose and Gridiron Breakfast, but you and I both know they're not going to have topic of, of discussions there. Uh, and anyway, well, it was a good point. And I knew and have had friends for many, many years who were of the Mormon faith. Um, my youngest daughter grew up with uh, a gal she went to high school with and played basketball with and sports with who was of the Mormon faith also. And so I got to know them, and I'm pretty familiar with a lot of it. I was a little bit surprised, uh, other than the fact that Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church, was a Freemason in the state of New York. And in some further research, little did I realize, but Brigham Young himself was a Freemason. And uh, after the Mormons uh, left New York and the 1820s when Freemasonry was almost totally eliminated in the United States because of a, a rumor. The Morgan Affair. Yes, the Morgan Affair. Uh, the, the folks that were founding the, the Mormon Church moved to Illinois where they really got a big head start. And at one time there was a lodge, uh, a single lodge in Illinois that was a Mormon Freemason lodge. And there was almost a thousand members. So obviously they left Illinois and moved to Utah where they founded their temple and their church. And they were more, they were Freemasons out there until something happened in about the 1900s, I think about maybe 1926 or something like that. Um, somehow or other, the Utah Grand Lodge decided they didn't want Mormons in their, in their Freemasonry anymore. So until 1986, I believe it is, uh, the Grand Lodge of Utah said, you know, why are we doing this? So actually Mormons are allowed to actually be Freemasons now in Utah. We never, ever stopped them in any Grand Lodge anywhere else in the United States for becoming Freemasons. We never did that. That's one thing. Second thing is, if you ever go online, Google preparation room for the Mormon church. And brothers, let me tell you, when you take a look at that, you're going to see the actual Blue Lodge layout. Altar in the center, uh, seating on the, uh, on the uh, north and south. Uh, some guy sitting up in the east, uh, with, uh, surrounded by two other additional people. And it is an actual footprint for the, for the uh, Blue Lodge. A lot of their customs are Freemasonic, and the, and the church will admit uh, that they did adopt only in their religious way a lot of our tenets and a lot of the initiations and a lot of the things they do, including the handshakes. There are uh, they they do plays for new people coming into the church, just like we do at Scottish Rite. Costume the works. They wear aprons. So we've had a tremendous impact apparently uh, on the founding fathers of Freemasonry, and I think we still do to this day. And that's a really interesting thing to note. Are we able to get any royalty money out of this? Uh, probably not. Okay. Uh, the only scary part is Freemasons do not practice a religion in their lodge and so forth. And we, we totally believe that. When we go to lodge, we don't talk politics, we don't talk religion, we don't talk anything like that. But isn't it unique, though, that somehow or other, our craft, unbeknownst to them, founded a church? Whoa, that's big time. I guess. I mean, but you know, if, if if you had the structure of the Masonic Lodge, 
And that's the structure you know as a, as a young man. And you're going to start any great enterprise. I mean, you probably would take some of that knowledge and use it. I mean, you know, I go back to my fraternity days and terms we use, you know, like black ball still exist. We didn't vote with white balls and black balls in college. You know, it was it was a handwritten ballot or, you know. But, yeah, we still had ter- lots of terms. And there's a you know, handful of others I probably can't, I can't say online. But handful of other terms that are strictly Masonic that at the time I had no idea they were Masonic. But it was kind of like commonplace between all the fraternities. So I think any, you know, any fraternity at any college at one time was kind of based on and copied after the Masons. So. Yeah, exactly. It's all just, you know, evolving. Yeah, it's evolving. It's evolving. But I I look at the humorous side of things. You know, we, we say we are not a religion and we're not really. But. You know, the humorous side of it is uh, there are some people out there that are probably going to go on the Internet and say, see, I told you you were a religion. And you you can expect that. But uh, anyway, the familiarity, not the familiarity, wrong choice of word, the the fact that they are so closely uh, mimicking each other. Rather, the Mormons are, are, are taking a lot of things that we taught them over the years and using it as... I don't know. I think it's. I think it's very honorable. I think they are, realistically. I think they're a very fine religion, and I like everything about them. And I like everything about their people. So, well, I, well, we look forward to maybe when we talk about this again later with maybe a uh, like I said, we could find that elusive Mormon Mason. So um, we'll put our our email up at the end of the show. I if you fit that bill. We can Skype you in on our show. So even if you're not local to Pennsylvania, you don't need to be in our studio. We, as long as you have a good internet connection, uh, we can uh, Skype you in and phone call. Call. Uh, we can smoke signals and uh, whatever you guys have out in Utah. Let's take a break right now, okay? The Masonic Light Podcast is sponsored by MasonicScarves.com, home of unique Masonic-themed soccer scarves. Our scarves aren't printed. All of the artwork is knitted into the design. We can also do custom-made designs featuring your local lodge or commemorating an event. These make a great gift for visitors, members, or for fundraising. Visit our website at MasonicScarves.com and click on the Shop Now button to see our full catalog. At checkout, use code PODCAST and you'll get $5 off per scarf www.masonicscarves.com Welcome back, everybody. And uh, we apologize a little bit for the choppiness of the show. It's all due to me uh, coming back on the cruise and not thinking we had time, but we have time. So we... uh, Hopefully, this, our our magical editor will put this together in some sort of listenable format. But let's talk about what we have coming up in the next couple of weeks um, before we do our next podcast. Sure. What we have personally coming up in our Masonic lives. Sure. Well, what do you have, Larry? Well, what do we? What do I have? Okay. Well, our next meeting at the Lamberton Lodge, four seventy six in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're having table lodge. 
Uh, we started the table lodge, or uh, you folks in Europe or other lodges in the United States may refer to this as the festive board. But we actually will open the lodge on the first degree, and we have a table lodge, and uh, basically we eat, and we have toasts, we toast George Washington, and we do the whole thing that they've been doing for uh, several hundred years. And that's something, like I said, we reinstituted about four years ago. And it actually is a great celebration. It's, it's, it's a fun time. And I think it kind of reverts back to uh, when, when Freemasonry was first starting in the United States. As you know, they met in pubs. Uh, usually they drank and ate and then went upstairs to, uh, to a meeting. And I think the festive board is one way to say that part of Freemasonry is really contingent upon good food, good drink, etc., uh, and I think it makes, I, I think it, it, I think it solidifies, solidifies the brotherhood and, and personal friendships that develop along the way. So that's our big thing. I've got coming up, I guess, um, some stuff. So we just had the cruise with a bunch of uh, grotto guys. And if you go on Facebook, you can probably track us down, see some uh, pictures of, uh, especially the Fez all over in random places uh, along the cruise. On Saturday, March uh, Saturday, April 23rd, uh, I will be up at the Massachusetts Rhode Island Masonic Con. Uh, you can find it on their website at www.eb1870.org. And the EB stands for the, uh, their lodge, Ezekiel Bates Lodge. So uh, www.eb1870.org. And it's sponsored by Ezekiel Bates Lodge, AF&AM, and Nava Grotto. And they are going to be having lectures from about 20 different speakers, plus everybody from uh, Masonic Scars to Hyman and Solomon Cigars, gift shops, uh, the Paul Revere Passport Program, Swords of Bunker Hill. So much good stuff going on there. So, hey, if you have nothing better to do and you're like within an hour or two, I would make, make the drive over and... And check it out. It's going to be all day Saturday at the Ezekiel Bates Lodge. Which I've looked at pictures. The place looks pretty impressive. That's great. You know what? We should we should consider doing something like that here. We, I've been talking to a couple different people preliminarily. They're interested. I want to go and see what this is going on. How big it is to see if we could pull it off at the Lancaster Masonic Center. If we couldn't pull it off there, I'm sure there's somewhere on the... Uh, like the Patton campus or somewhere up there at, um, you know, Masonic villages where we could get this done and it'd be so nice to be able to have people come and maybe go through a shrine degree, go through whatever they want to do that day. Right. Um, after that, I have some other things coming out across. We've got the, uh, the April convivial on Sunday. So that's our, our ceremonial and convivial meal for Grotto. We're bringing in at least 12 new prophets. So that's always fun. We'll be able to pay the bills again. On uh, May 1st, we're going to a goat race. So you think to me the most, everybody, the joke always, everything Masonic is goat related. So uh, we're entering a goat into the goat race at the, a brewery in Phoenixville. And what's the goat's name? The goat's name is Skidmark. Yeah, he is the, uh, <laughs> he's the goat at the mascot at the, the Gap Lighthouse. It's a very popular Family attraction in uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's been protecting the Gap shoreline for about 200 years. Um, 
And then there's a, in May 5th, Tall Cedars Convention down in Wildwood, New Jersey. So I'll be down there uh, as, a, as a Tall Cedar and also uh, trying to sell some scarves and keep this ship afloat. And then there's also, in May 19th, the Colonial Grotto Association in Samus Grotto. That's down in Richmond. So, you know, I'm staying busy in my retirement. So I might have to go back to working so I can get some time off. <laughs> so, folks, we're going to... Um, do you have anything else to add, Larry? Uh, no, Pete. Do not. All right, guys. So we're going to um, work on our, our, our official show next week with a profoundly awesome guest... And we're going to knock your socks off. Thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>